0: Open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 3. Several years ago, Sue and I went to visit our daughters in California, and in particular, uh, the one that was living in Santa Barbara at that time, going to school, and she went to a a very large church that was of a little bit different stripe from our regular Baptist fellowship. And so I sort of expected to find some things wrong with what they were doing. Uh, I confess to a temptation to that mentality, uh, but, <laughs> um, but that day was one of the days that started to change my thinking about some things, and uh, the reason is because as I went to this large church, I sat and listened. Uh, the, the 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 singing was wonderful, and uh, was the kind of music we did in our church. And and uh, the fellow got up to preach, and and not only doctrinally the things that he said, but also in terms of, of what he was trying to uh, teach the people, what he was trying to get across, what he was trying to motivate them to do, and the things he was saying. I just felt a great uh, kindred spirit to what he was doing, and it, and it you know kind of rebuked me that I was looking for something wrong. And in fact, what I found was something wrong with my own ministry while I was there. And, and I'm talking about my own ministry of preaching, because as I listened to him preach, I said to myself, you know, this guy is saying the same stuff I say, but he's smiling. No kidding. Instead of sort of beating people over the head, he was calling them up to the righteous life. And I said, God, that's what I'm going to do. And so every time I get a chance, that's the way I try to preach. But sometimes, like today, I just can't help myself when I title the sermon, The Road to Hell is Not Paved with Good Intentions. I'm sorry. <laughs> and it, and in, and in fact, I hope you don't think me negative of spirit when we start with John 3:16. Now, if you remember, on Christmas Day, we looked at John 3:16 and 17 and just plumbed the depths of the wonderful salvation that God has given us. We're going to do that again today but from a little different perspective. And the perspective is sort of this, um, what does it take to go to hell? Because the, the flip side would be, isn't salvation such a great, wonderful thing? And I, I hope those of you that know the Lord can grasp that. But I also hope you can begin to appreciate the fact that the reason people go to hell is not accidental, it's on purpose. And that's part of what Jesus says here in this text. And that's why I need to preach that today. Follow as we read John 3 16 through 21. <clears throat> As we think about the effort that it takes to go to hell, the first effort is this. Those who go to hell must resist the love of God. They must resist the love of God. God loves you so much that he wants you to have eternal life. And the first thing that we want to understand, we've been singing about eternal life today. We've been singing about uh, eternity in heaven. And I understand that eternal life is a quality of life. It begins right now. The moment you accept Christ as your Savior, your life changes. You're a new creature in Christ. I understand that. But I also understand that eternal life is often a perspective of saying, when I die, like Frida Brulin this week, I'm going to be in heaven forever. What is the, the quality of eternal life? The quality of eternal life is incredible. We read a little bit about it in in Revelation 21 this morning. I want to read that again. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Do you understand, dear friend, that when God made this earth and the heavens, they were absolutely perfect and the one you're looking at now is tainted by sin and when I come down my hill in the morning, I, I come down Church Road this way, and when it's a clear sky, I look over at Mount Baker and the blue sky behind there, and I say, thank God I live in Ferndale. And it's beautiful, but it's tainted by sin. Can you imagine how beautiful the new heavens and the new earth will look? You just imagine the most beautiful thing you've ever seen, maybe your wife or your husband, no, no, the most beautiful thing you can possibly imagine, and it's going to be better than that, brand new, right out of the hand of God, without the taint of sin. That's what eternity is going to be about. Now, I understand that when the rapture comes, we're going to be caught up together with God in heaven, and then at some point, right after that, there's going to be this tribulation time on earth. It'll be terrible, then the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, which will be wonderful, and then this time called eternity, or eternal life, in the fullest sense, really begins when everything is brand new. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, the dwelling place of all believers, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle, or the dwelling place of God, is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. What is so significant about that verse 3? Well, what is so significant is is that now, because of the sin that's in us, God cannot personally dwell with us. When we are perfected, we will be with him in heaven. But at this point, the whole dwelling of God and the whole dwelling of man, all that are believers, of course, will be face-to-face with God forever. Today we worship and we, we sing a song of praise to God. How great is our God. And we have a sense of his greatness. We have a sense of his greatness. When Joel and Marianne say, you know what? Boy, it was hard, but we trusted the Lord. And look what he did. We go, yeah! We have a sense of the greatness of God. How much greater will that sense of the greatness of God be when we're face to face? Wow. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death, no sorrow, no crying, no pain, for the former things, substitute the word sinful things, have passed away. Truly, the scripture is right when it says, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for him. When we read that little verse, John three sixteen says that we can have eternal life, and not perish. There is a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. God loves us so much that He wants us to have eternal life. He wants us to have this. What a wonderful, incredible thing. The nature of, of eternal life is incredible, but the essence of eternal life is personal. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Literally, that that would be translated a dwelling place, as in a specific place with your name on it. It may not be a mansion, you know, like, like Glenn lives in out there at Birch Bay. Or, you know, it may not be a house, but it is a specific place with your name on it. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I would help you to understand today, Christian, the real nature of heaven is being with God. It is a personal thing. Now I understand there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and and, and I understand there's going to be innumerable angels there and lots of people and you may think you're going to be all excited about seeing your dearly departed loved one but I think when you get to heaven your eyes are going to be so open because the sin will be wiped away so much you're going to be most interested in seeing Jesus. For the first time in your life nothing else will matter. And it will be so incredibly wonderful and personal. And here's the thing that I want to try to help you understand today, Christian, and those of you who have not yet believed in Christ. God wants you to experience this. That is his desire. 1 Timothy 2, God wants people to be saved. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The whole purpose for the whole Jesus thing is so that you can experience this. How much more loving can you be? God wants you to be in heaven with him forever. Have you ever heard this statement? Well, I, I love Don, but I don't like him very much you ever said that about somebody? I like him, I like her, or I I love them, but I don't like them very much. You know what that means? That means I don't love them or like them. That's what it really means. It is. It's an excuse. Well, I know I have to be nice to them because God says I have to be nice to them, but I don't care for them at all. You know what? God likes you, and God loves you, and he wants you, to be with him period period god loves you so much that he wants you to have eternal life the second thing that we understand from john 3:16 is this god loves you so much that he has provided the solution for your sin look at john 3:16 again god so loved the world what did he, not, he's, it's not just that he said, oh, I wish you could come to heaven, it's so cool, I wish you could see it, oh, it would be really great if you could come. Do you think you can come? He doesn't say that, does he? He says, I'm going to make it possible for you to come by giving my son. What is so unique about Jesus Christ? What is unique about Jesus Christ is, first of all, that he is divine, he is as we might say in theological terms, the second person of the Trinity. What is the triunity of God? The triunity of God is a truth revealed in scripture as we look at these three different persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're clearly all referenced as God. They have the divine attributes of knowing everything, of having power, of being everywhere. They're all three clearly understood as being divine they are all part of what we might call the godhead and yet they have distinct ministries to us jesus christ being the only one who came to earth and took on a human body and died for our sins that was we might say that the focal point of his job within the triunity of God. The Holy Spirit has a focal point of being in us today and empowering us for ministry and of convicting others of sin. And God the Father being the one who, in our way of thinking, would be in charge of this whole plan. They all share a divine nature. They are all equally God. They are all part of the same Godhead. To our human way of thinking, this is How can there be three persons who are part of one person? It's hard for us to understand, but the Scripture declares this to us, that they have distinct roles. Jesus Christ, being God, possessing the divine nature, came to earth, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, that is, he had the divine nature, he had the uh, expression of being God in heaven. He did not consider it robbery or something to be clung on to like a precious possession to maintain that equal uh, expression of godness in heaven, but he made himself of no reputation. He took on the form of a slave or a human being and he came in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross what is so unique about jesus christ He is the unique God-man. That's what John sets out to tell us, starting in the first chapter of John. He is God who took on a human body so that he might accomplish a special thing. What did God's gift of Jesus accomplish? Surely he has borne or carried our griefs, and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. We looked at him, if you look at this in the Hebrew, what it says is they looked at him and said, he is out of his mind. He's a crazy man, a wild man. But he was wounded for our transgressions. This is the reality. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. All human beings have gone astray. They're all sinners. We have all turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him The iniquity of us all yet it pleased the Lord or pleased God the Father to bruise Jesus he has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin he shall see his seed he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand what did Jesus Christ do on the cross if this book was full of your sins the lists of your sins and knowing you like I know myself, I bet your life would at least fill this book. And if this is you and your sin, what Isaiah 53 tells us that Jesus took your sin. Our sin, it says, was laid on him. The punishment for our sin was put on him. And what's the result of that? God in heaven said, it's enough. I'll accept that payment for your sin. That's what's so special about Jesus Christ. He has carried your sin. He has picked up your sin and made it possible for God to forgive you. God, in his righteousness, could not close his eyes while you sneak into heaven. He couldn't do it. He has to judge sin, or he's not a righteous judge. And yet, in his love, he said, I don't want all those people to go to hell. Let's send Jesus to take on a human body and shed the blood that needs to be shed to pay for sin. The third thing that we understand about the love of God for us here in verse 17 of John 3 is this. God loves you so much, That he offers you salvation in spite of your sin or your sinfulness. Look at verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Why is that a significant statement? It's significant because of this. Is there any human being who deserves to go to heaven? By virtue of their completely perfectly righteous life no and when Jesus came to earth the first time were there any such people alive then no so if we ask the question what did the people alive when Jesus came into the world what did they deserve we would say they deserve condemnation A righteous judge, certainly somebody like the Pharisees who were alive in the time of Christ, if the sinners were passed in front of them, they'd say, you're a sinner, go to hell. But look at the marvelous thing about God's love. That's not why Jesus came to the world. He didn't come for that purpose. He came so that the world through him might be saved. It shows us the love of God. Think about the last time you were pulled over by the police and he or she let you go with a warning. Can I get a witness? No. (laughs) I've been there. Hardly ever. But I've been there. Were you guilty? Yes. As they say, if not of that crime, at least another one. (laughs) And yet they were gracious. Romans 5.8 says this, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's the wonderful thing that God's trying to get across to us here in John 3. He's saying, look, God sent his son. You were all sinners. You were all sheep going astray. You're walking the other direction. And even so, when Jesus came into the world, he didn't come in condemning people. He came in saying, look, here's the truth. Here I am. <sighs> could God have righteously sent his son to condemn all the people of the day to hell? Yes, he could have. Did we, did we deserve the gracious gift of salvation God brought us? No, no. Now think about something. Let's put this on a real practical level. Try to think about this forgiveness of God. Ladies, do you find it easy to overlook your husband's imperfect behavior? Especially when he comes around and wants to spend time with you after having acted imperfectly? Parents, do you find it easy to give money for your child to do some extra special thing right after they have rebelled and been disobedient? Oh yeah, let me get my wallet out. Yeah. Yeah, here's some money get out of the house. Yeah. <laughs> Bosses? Managers? Do you consider raising the pay of the employees who complain the most, who whine, who criticize? Yet God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, even then he made us alive together with Christ. That's the greatness of God's love. That's how great God is. It's easy for us Christians who have known the Lord for a long time to kind of forget the mercy of God in our salvation. And we need to look back and say, oh God, uh, thank you for saving me when I didn't deserve it. What a wonderful thing. And here's the thing I want you to grasp today, Christian, and, and perhaps those of you who don't know the Lord yet as well. If you're going to go to hell, you have to ignore That love of God. You have to, you can look up to heaven and criticize Him all you want, but you can't criticize what He did for you in bringing salvation. He was gracious, He was merciful, and those who go to hell must turn their back on the love and mercy of God and say, I don't know anything about a loving God. God has been merciful and gracious. Secondly, those who go to hell must reject God's simple requirement of belief for salvation. Look at verse 18, or, uh, here in, in John 3. He who believes in him, in Jesus, is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of the only in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Go back to verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Five times God says, believe. That's it! That's it! Now, I don't want to be guilty of oversimplifying salvation. I understand that part of that belief is you coming to a point of saying, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that God, what God says about me being a sinner. And part of that belief is coming to acknowledge the facts of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the Son of God, the eternal second person of the Trinity who took on human flesh and died and shed his blood. I believe in him. It's both of those things. You must believe you are a sinner or admit you are a sinner. And you must believe that Jesus is the Savior. But here's the, fo- the thing, folks. Could God have made salvation much simpler Is this complicated? Is this rocket science? He says believe. Believe, believe. The word believe is the verb form of the word faith throughout the New Testament. Same word, just a verb form or a noun form. Believe is the action we must take in order to come to Christ. You must believe. Now, you need to understand that faith is not a leap into the dark unknown. I didn't say you need to take a leap of faith. I said, you need to believe in the truth of Jesus Christ, in the person of Jesus Christ. The factual, historical person of Christ. Faith is not also, it is also not a leap into some unknown. It, it is not a hanging on to, but a resting in. Sometimes in our modern society, we talk about people having faith and, and we talk about spirituality spirituality, small s, and we talk about the need to believe. The Seahawks are going to win today. You just got to believe as though your cumulative belief in their ability to win will somehow magically mysteriously maybe maybe it goes back out through your TV like the like the picture comes in and it goes down and is broadcast onto the field and the 12th man wins the victory again what a load <laughs> faith is not you hanging on to god you know why Because you're not capable. Faith is you resting in Christ. It's you sitting down and letting him hold you. It's you saying, I give up. I stop trying to save myself. I stop trying to do my own good works. I stop trying to earn God's favor. I rest in Jesus Christ. He died for me. And I put my whole weight right down on the chair. I even take my feet up off the floor. My whole person. That's what biblical faith is. That's what true saving faith is. (sighs) What is the alternative to faith in Christ for salvation? you ever thought about that, Christian? In your attempt to help other people come to know Christ, have you ever thought about understanding what is the alternative? Don't worry, I'm not going to read the whole pamphlet. We We have these available, don't we? Yes, and I have some more in my file as well. It's called The Spirit of Truth and the Spirit of Error, and it's, It's what God has said on seven fundamentals or seven critical areas of doctrine, and it's what other religions say. Listen to what they say about salvation. Sin, sickness, and death must be deemed as devoid of reality as they are of good. To get rid of sin through science is to divert sin of any supposed mind or reality and never to admit that sin can have intelligence or power, pain or pleasure. You conquer error by denying its existence. So all you have to do to get saved is keep denying that error exists. We affirm the moral responsibility of the individual... And that he makes his own happiness or unhappiness as he obeys or disobeys nature's physical and spiritual laws. Leaving the physical body does not change the condition of the spirit, which is the actual personality. It must learn to desire and to progress to higher and better conditions just as we do on earth. Each one must work out his own salvation. Each has an equal opportunity to do this when he shall have atoned for the wrongs and overcome the temptations and allurements to the sense of gratification of earth life. Even the most degraded personality can in time attain the greatest heights. It is easier, however, to begin progression in the earth life. That means you're going to be working for eternity trying to earn something. All, here's another one, a different religion, all who by reason of faith in Jehovah God and in Christ Jesus dedicate themselves to do God's will and then faithfully carry out their dedication will be rewarded with everlasting life. If you do God's will and faithfully carry out your dedication, then you will be rewarded with everlasting life. An unnumbered crowd of faithful persons do not expect to go to heaven. They have been promised everlasting life on earth if they prove their faithfulness by faith in Jehovah's baptism, provided they abide in him, keeping their good conscience through faith and loyal service. Here's another religion. One who is born of God is merely merely begotten spiritually. He is not yet really born. Only those who develop spiritually shall finally be given immortality. Another one. We believe that through the atonement of Christ all mankind may be saved. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? They all may be saved by... Obedience to the laws and ordinances. So yeah, Christ died for your sin, but you're only going to get it through working. Another one. The eternal life taught and demonstrated by Jesus is not gained by dying, but by purifying the body until it becomes the undying habitation of the soul. We believe the repeated incarnations of man to be a merciful provision of our loving Father to the end that all may have opportunity to obtain immortality through regeneration as Jesus did. Some of those folks came to our door one day, years ago, and my wife said, Does your religion teach that you can know for certain that you're going to heaven when you die? Nope. Well, mine does. Why should I switch from my religion to yours? (laughs) Hey, folks, all I'm telling you is what God said, and it's been written there for 2,000 years. Do you know what you need to do to come to faith in Christ or to to uh, to come to a possession of eternal life? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved." Now how much simpler could God make it? And to me that shows God's great love. And those who go to hell must reject the simplicity of salvation and instead embrace one of these religions or one of the many other hundreds or thousands of others that are gonna require them to work and sweat and fear and hope and maybe think they're gonna make it. And of course they won't make it because there's only two religions in the world, you know? One is you're trying to earn God's favor to get into heaven and the other is you're following God's actual path which is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Those who go to hell must resist The love of God. Those who go to hell must reject God's simple requirement of of belief for salvation. And thirdly, those who go to hell must reject the clear enlightenment of truth. Look what he says here. Verse 19, John 3. This is the condemnation. Let's go back to verse 18. He who believes is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed the name of the only begotten Son of God. And here is why he will be condemned. Lunsford paraphrase. He will be condemned because of that light. The light has come into the world. God has given us light. But what happens? Men love darkness rather than light. How has God made salvation clearly visible or enlightened us. How has he brought light into the world? First of all, he's brought light through the life of Christ. Turn with me back to John 1. Just a page back in my Bible, John 1, one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Why did Jesus Christ come to earth. He came to be our Savior, but part of his mission was to demonstrate the God life. And to say, here it is. Here's what a perfect life looks like. Here's the possibility of that life. He was the light. He came not only living the life, he came telling the truth. And back in John 3.19 he says, you know why people will be condemned? Because God has sent them Light, so that there is no excuse. The person that goes to hell must look past the fact that Jesus Christ is a historically knowable person communicated to us by God's word. Jesus Christ was a historical figure just as real as anybody else you can name in history. He's not a mirage. He's not something we made up God has sent us light through the life of Christ. Secondly, he sent us life through the Bible. Uh, Larry is our our resident book expert. I believe the statistic goes like this. The Bible is the best-selling book of all time and continues to be so year by year. Isn't that correct? Like in any given year, it's the best-seller, as well as all of time since it began to be printed by Mr. Gutenberg. If you go to a hotel and you open the little thing, do you open all the drawers when you go to a hotel? I wonder what's in, here. what's in here. It's like going to somebody else's house, isn't it? it's your house actually, but and you open up that one right by the bed and there's a Bible sitting right there. Virtually every hotel room in the country has the Bible, and many in other countries. One of the few parachurch ministries that I think is a wonderful thing is the Gideons passing those Bibles out. They go and stand at schools. I don't know if you've ever seen this. I, I, I would presume they do it at Whatcom County. I know they do it in Seattle. They stand at school with New Testaments. They have to stand at, you know, across the street or whatever the rule is, hand out New Testaments. Has God made light to shine in our society? Turn on the TV. I know a lot of those preachers on there are fuzzy on their doctrine but most of them most of them are saying you must believe in jesus christ to be saved is there light it's everywhere for sure if you're sitting here you've seen the light and I'm not bragging, I'm just saying we're preaching God's truth. He has made his light shine on you. If you choose to reject his illumination of your life when you stand before him at the great white throne judgment, you will not have an excuse. And That is, my, that is the least of my obligation. The most is for me to urge you. Don't ignore the love of Christ. Put your faith in him today. Those who Those who go to hell must reject the clear enlightenment of truth through the life of Christ, through the Bible, and through the transformed lives of Christians. The person who goes to hell must ignore the great change of life who comes to those who believe. And this is one of the places, Christian, where you come into this equation. You need to ask yourself that that old question If you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Is there enough light shining out of your life that other people would say, you know what, something's different about that person? Maybe even enough clear light coming out of your mouth uh, for them to say, you know what, that guy thinks this is the truth, at least. (laughs) <laughs> those who go to hell must, re- must ignore the light all around them the, the, the last thing we need to understand today is this those who go to hell must cling to the pleasure of sin look at Jap- John three nineteen. this is a condemnation this is why they will be condemned that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil for everyone practicing evil hates the light now there's a fundamental difference between hating something and not seeing it isn't there light what light what light are you talking about no 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 light I hate that light I worked in a men's clothing store when I was in college and the, the big middle doors were like that right there out into the mall. And on those rare occasions when we didn't have anything to do and there wasn't any customers, we'd just stand there and look out into the mall and wait to swoop down on the helpless fex who came in to buy our clothing. <laughs> and one day I was standing there just looking into space, and before God I was not looking at anything improper or thinking any improper thoughts. Just looking out into the mall, and here comes my coworker you were looking at that girl, weren't you? Because they all knew I went to Bible college. And I said, no, I wasn't looking at that girl. Why do they want me to be looking at that girl? Because they hate the light. And I wasn't any great witness, but just the fact that I was a Christian in their world made them uncomfortable, and they wanted me to sin like them. And you've had that at work. People want to pull you down. I've heard people, I've been rebuked because I won't use cuss words. What's the matter? Can't you use a real man's language? Christians, one of the hardest truths you're going to have to learn is this. And I don't say this, I say it with a smile. The people who are rejecting Christ are doing just that. It's not that he's not a historically knowable figure. It's not that the impact of his life cannot be seen in the world and in our lives. It's not that it's hard to understand or hard to do. It's that people love darkness those who go to hell must keep convincing themselves that their life is wonderful even though it's crumbling day by day because they hate the light. They hate the light so much that they have to work at bringing more and more sinful pleasure into their life because the pleasure of sin keeps diminishing. They have to keep comparing their life to others so that they make statements like this, well, you know, I'm doing about as good as everybody else. They want to be convinced that they're okay. I had to go with another pastor to confront a man about his sin this week. Sin that's caused his life to dwindle down to just about nothing, humanly speaking. And certainly he's doing nothing to try to grow out of it. And at one point I said, you like your life. You love your life. No, I don't. I said, yes, you do. Otherwise, you'd do something about it. Truth is, he doesn't like his life, but he likes it better than the effort it would take to get right with God. He loves his sin. Do you see what he says here, Christian? He he says, everybody verse 21 he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen do you know when I am the most handsome I know you're thinking it's not possible that you know it's one way or the other but I'll tell you when I'm the most handsome when it's still dark outside and when I have my glasses off and I pass by a mirror man I look like Tom Cruise When the glasses are on, the lights are on. It's more like the Incredible Hulk or something, you know, (laughs) the Incredible Bulk. Turning on the light and looking into the mirror, God calls His Word a mirror, is hard. It's uncomfortable. I don't want to see that I'm a sinner. I want to look at myself in that mirror and go, you are something. And that is why it's hard to come to Christ because we have to look into that mirror of God's righteousness and realize, I am nothing. I'm a sinner in in, in need of salvation. Here's the wonderful thing. Turning on the light and looking into the mirror of God's word is hard. It will show your imperfection, but it leads to beauty. It leads to beauty. Have you believed in Christ or are you still coming to him? I just want to ask you, friend, today. I want to ask you if you've been in church a long time, I want to ask you to stop and look in your heart and say, do you believe in Christ as your Savior? And the next question I would ask you, I would ask you too, when was that? Well, Pastor Dave, I have always been a Christian is that true here's what I want you to do look in your heart today and say am I resting in Jesus alone have I believed do I believe in him alone Christian I want to challenge you today to just understand this whole concept of people coming to Christ a little bit better and to not be put off by those people who would say, oh, Jesus wasn't real, and oh, this and oh, that, and to understand that those people are working to stay out of the kingdom. They are not going to go to hell with their good intentions. You need to understand, and dare I say, Christian, you need to go on the offensive of belief Get this out and just point to those verses and say, You love darkness. Yeah. Do that and then see what happens. That's what Jesus said. Nicodemus was a teacher of Israel, and that's what he says to him. (sighs) Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you have made salvation so simple. You have reached out to us because you love us. Oh, thank you for that. Father, if there's somebody here today who's not certain that they've really believed in Christ, may today be the day they become certain. Father, if there's some Christian here who's sheepish about their faith, if for some reason they're, 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 they're baffled by the unbelievers who give them the phony arguments, give them courage this week. Help them to see the truth in the lives around them. I pray in Christ's name, amen.